Hello, my freedom-loving friends. You are listening to another episode of the Free Mitten News, brought to you by the Libertarian Party of Michigan. I am your host, the communications director of the LPMI, Connor Napomucino. Let's get down to it, shall we? A tenured professor at Michigan's Ferris State University in Big Rapids, Michigan, has been placed on leave after he told students in a profanity-laced video that he didn't want to know anything about them because they were just vectors of disease. Go complain to your dean. Fuck you. Go ahead. Barry Mailer yells in the video. I'm retiring at the end of this year, and I don't give a flying fuck any longer. Mailer, 74, posted the 14-minute video on Sunday, a day before the spring 2022 semester began. In the video, he told students that it didn't matter how hard they worked in his class because he randomly predetermined their grades prior to the semester. Quote, none of you are good enough to earn an A in my class, Mailer said. So I randomly assign grades before the first day of class. I don't want to know anything about you. I don't even want to know your name. I just look at the number and I assign a grade. This is how predestination works, referring to the Calvinist doctrine that salvation and damnation are predetermined by God. And don't come complaining to me. Take your complaints to God. Mailer introduced himself at the beginning of the video wearing what he described as a helmet equipped with filters to protect him from the coronavirus. I will not take questions in class because I'm wearing this helmet in order to stay alive, he said. I don't know whether you people have noticed, but it's dangerous to breathe the air, he said in the video. Many of your experts are advising wearing masks because there's a deadly virus spreading around the planet. Your civilization is collapsing and life on your planet is going extinct. He told his students he had no choice but to return to the classroom to teach, but urged the students not to join him because of his age and increased risk of contracting the virus. I'm old enough to be your grandpa, and you people are vectors of disease to me. So when I look at a classroom filled with 50 students, I see 50 selfish kids who don't care whether grandpa lives or dies. Ferris State said Mailer has been placed on leave while his conduct is investigated. The professor has not responded to an email seeking comment. I was shocked and appalled by this video. It is profane, offensive, and disturbing, and in no way reflects our university or its values, President David Eisler said Thursday. Towards the end of his video, Mailer tells the students not to worry about how remote learning might affect their grade. You have no control over your grade, he said. It doesn't matter how hard you work, end quote. The failure of academia to address differing opinions and maintain open and civil discourse in favor of emotional, ideological rants that are forced on the faculty and student body is not a new phenomenon. Nor is it unheard of for more arrogant members of higher learning to dismiss any and all criticism and proudly neglect obligations as educators to students when tenure is achieved. Indeed, tenure has created a parasitical class of academics who feel their intellect should be rewarded despite an unwillingness to actually provide any service. Certainly, the original motive of tenure to protect instructors from punitive retaliation from students who were unhappy with scores or disliked disagreements of viewpoints made sense. It allowed the instructors to keep the learning environment open to rigorous debate and challenging ideas, especially as this applied to more orthodox ideas and institutions. 
The problem is that tenure has allowed the lazy and egocentric members of higher learning to become an unchallenged orthodoxy unto themselves. And this condition of ivory tower demagogues living off of state funds while failing to provide real instruction is the biggest plague to higher education. Mailer is case in point of this shallow and infantile nature of such educated demagogues engaging in emotional rants, blaming students for imaginary woes, in this case being expected to do his job, and literally telling the students that any intelligence or worth ethic they possess is irrelevant to both himself and the process of education and their grades accordingly. This childish display seems to stem largely from his exaggerated ego's fear of coronavirus and Ferris State University's unwillingness to pay him to do nothing, a condition he feels he has earned with his 30 years at the institution and, of course, his tenure. That he cares so little for the success of his students is not surprising, as he considers his employment a health risk, and those who anticipate the fulfillment of those services as selfish are vectors of disease to me. The profanity-laden rant, which he claimed was an attempt at satire after heavy condemnation from students and administrators, also erroneously identified the proliferation of tobacco use globally as an American capitalist enterprise despite the fact that the United States did not exist globally during the period he addressed, and the economic system has generally, historically, been identified as colonial-based mercantilism. After the false equivalency was presented, he in turn addressed this as a cause of the destruction of indigenous American cultures. It should be no surprise that Mailer has been part of the university's Institute for the Study of Academic Racism. Increasingly, higher education is being lost to emotionally immature intellectuals who confuse education with progressive indoctrination. It is less and less a system of growth and expansion of minds for individuals, and more and more, a system of promoting an approved cultural rhetoric and attempting to render it unquestionable. This attempt to usurp the purpose of education to create a cultural hegemony one that punishes disobedience rather than comprehension and work ethic, should concern anyone who is not a member of the progressive elite. Under this system, no ideas that do not conform to the progressive agenda will be tolerated, and the few students and faculty who have the courage to challenge this new orthodoxy will find themselves unable to be credentialed and or employed. In a recent story featured in the Wall Street Journal, it was noted that Texas and Arizona have joined Idaho and Utah in recovering jobs lost due to the lockdowns of 2020. The similarities that have led to this recovery are threefold. Firstly, the largely Republican states had far less intrusive and expansive lockdown and COVID restriction policies. Secondly, the states in question have continued to enjoy growth in service industries such as retail, technology, and transportation industries. Lastly, many businesses in blue states, particularly California, have relocated to more business-friendly states such as Texas. Major cities such as Dallas and Austin offer lower taxes, higher standards of living, and lower cost of living than coastal urban centers. The last is particularly notable as Oracle and Tesla, 
now number among the transplants to Austin, a city with more liberal social sensibilities, while retaining more realistic economic expectations of businesses and citizens. The popularity of such incentives will also see the relocation of Hewlett-Packard to the area in the coming months. Arizona is seeing similar growth and returned to its pre-pandemic payroll levels in November of 2021, well ahead of the curve. While the United States lost more than 22 million jobs in March and April of 2020, largely due to lockdowns, the four states mentioned have seen swift recovery. Indeed, most states with less restrictive COVID policies are anticipated to return to pre-COVID levels within the year. This cannot be said for states such as California and New York, which continue to struggle to keep their economies healthy. George Hammond, an economist at the University of Arizona, noted that Arizona rapidly returned to its prior peak of employment because compared to the nation, we didn't fall as far. One big reason is because the stay-at-home order in Arizona wasn't very restrictive, end quote. As was previously mentioned, population growth was also a factor. Idaho, Utah, Montana, and Arizona had the largest population growths of any state from July 2020 to July 2021, with Texas not far behind, seeing an additional 310,000 new residents in that period. Additionally, Texas is poised to overtake California as the home of the American tech industry in a few years. The news as it relates to government overreaction to COVID and the economic impact rarely leaves us with good news, but in this case, the freedom-minded have something to celebrate. States with fewer COVID restrictions lost fewer jobs and attracted substantial new growth during the last year and a half. This reality, when coupled with monetary policy friendly to business growth, has led to growing populations who enjoy higher standards of living at lower cost than states dominated by progressive economic policies. A realignment of the population people fleeing coastal cities to enjoy more freedom and opportunity in states that were less authoritarian and more restrained about COVID policy seems to be paying off, literally. This recovery and new growth in states that were less heavy-handed in dealing with COVID is a vindication, a libertarian critique of the mass closures of business and order to remain confined that plagued so many innocent citizens. Perhaps most telling is the flight from California to Texas of so many people, tired of needless constraints and excessive taxes and the interest that this generated in major companies who traditionally resided in progressive states. The current economic cultural shift is to one of more freedom and less constraint so that individuals can seek the opportunities for more success. This being said, we must remember that we are currently experiencing the worst inflation in decades, and that the current administration has fed this irresponsible deluge of monies, as well as disrupting the national supply chain. Despite new growth, we are hemmed in by fantastical economic policies that ignore reality in favor of unattainable financial equitability and leaders who are unable to address the negative impact of their own policies on increasing poverty and loss of goods. 
This is not a time to relax, but to continue to push for greater economic autonomy from wasteful federal systems that cannot understand their own insistence on increased currency circulation has led to the decreased spending power of the average American. Whether this takes the form of states with more rational economic policy, new forms of currency, or entire alternate systems of exchange is largely dependent on circumstances. What must be agreed upon by those concerned is that the current system does not work and a system of less control and constraint is needed. Recently, the Australian government changed its case against allowing Novak Djokovic into the country. The government had conceded that Djokovic entered Australia with a valid medical exemption and poses a low risk of contracting the virus. This swiftly changed not because his status as a disease risk changed, but because he clearly does not support forced COVID injections. Immigration Minister Alex Hawke changed the government's position. Instead of Djokovic's star power being an asset, it was a liability. The minister describes Djokovic as a high-profile unvaccinated individual who has publicly indicated his opposition to getting a jab and demonstrated an apparent disregard for basic COVID rules such as isolating after a positive test. Quote, given Mr. Djokovic's high-profile status and position as a role model in the sporting and broader community, his ongoing presence in Australia may foster similar disregard for the precautionary requirements following receipt of a positive COVID-19 test in Australia. In particular, his behavior may encourage or influence others to emulate his prior conduct and fail to comply with appropriate health measures following a positive COVID-19 test, which itself could lead to the transmission of the disease and serious risk to their health and others." End quote. At one point in the hearing, Djokovic was described by Hawk as a potential icon of free choice. You can't make this up. <laughs> the government of Australia has never quibbled on the issue that freedom to choose regarding COVID policy is not allowed, only compliance with totalitarianism. Most media reports have tended to try to divide the world into the science believers and the subversive anti-vaxxers. Yet the science has failed to demonstrate why a 34-year-old tennis champion who has already recovered from the coup is in desperate need of a vaccine to protect the safety of others. Australia was faced with the possibility of coming near to acknowledging this and undercutting their own irrational approach to a disease whose spread cannot be controlled by their current heavy-handed methods or their vaccines. Hawks's rationale had nothing directly to do with the spread of disease, but with maintaining his government's credibility regarding a policy that increasingly shows its own failures and irrational basis. The Australian government has thus proven throughout the social-political phenomenon of COVID to be deeply authoritarian and punitive, a throwback to its roots as a penal colony. The downfall of Australia to blatant violation of human rights has been disheartening to see, but rarely has it let the 
mask of so-called public health slip. In the case of tennis star Novak Djokovic, its agenda of scapegoating and deceit is on full display. The problem for the Australian ministries involved was that Djokovic was initially cleared and none of the justifications for his removal were based on his COVID testing, which Djokovic acknowledged was an error, but that Djokovic refused to be vaccinated. What we have here was an instance in which the Australian government hoped to make an example of an evil anti-vaxxer, which is anyone who questions the necessity or legality of universal COVID injections. While the initial rejection may have begun with the assertion that Djokovic operated in bad faith regarding his testing, it was clear that this was not the case, and the incident was a communication error. That this continued beyond this specific issue is evidence that the ministries of health and immigration were the ones operating in bad faith, especially given the language that Minister Hawke used, describing Djokovic as high-profile unvaccinated individual who has publicly indicated his opposition to getting the jab, and that later should be removed from the country because he might become a potential icon of free choice. Such language makes it clear that Djokovic's injection status and assertion of bodily autonomy and the potential to stir others to assert their own bodily autonomy was the actual reason for his deportation. Djokovic was the victim of a political agenda which seeks to punish disobedience as it increasingly fashions a medical apartheid state. Lovers of freedom should always remember that what is at stake here is basic human rights, bodily autonomy, freedom of association, and the ability to move without government interference. Authoritarian regimes as they exist in Australia and elsewhere are acting in a fallacious manner called sunk cost, the tendency to follow through on an endeavor based on invested time, effort, or money, whether or not the current costs outweigh the benefits or even prove effective. Australian authorities have failed to prevent disease with edicts that harm the lives and freedom of their citizens. They cannot acknowledge this reality as it discredits nearly two years of work and policy. At this point, they can only double down, giving the appearance of competence and scapegoating the disobedience in the hope of saving face. Djokovic had the potential to discredit their narrative and encourage rejection of their policies, and their only recourse was to cast him as a villain and remove him as quickly as possible. We often forget that it is not just the increasing numbers of breakthrough cases that demonstrate the exaggerated efficacy of COVID vaccines, which can always be laid at the feet of the unvaxxed by the corrupt, but that every healthy and active uninjected person is a testament to both the failure of authoritarian COVID policy and the practicality of maintaining personal health, a condition that allows for neither government control nor pharmaceutical profit. January 6th marked the anniversary of the protests in Washington, D.C., now often called the Capitol Riots. True to previous form, the narrative is one of exaggerated danger to our democracy, lauding the mechanisms of corruption that allow the two parties to vie for the rulership of the populace and exaggerating the power and influence of former President Donald Trump. The initial address was condemnation of the protest itself and the nature of its focus, 
quote, a web of lies about the 2020 election, end quote, foregoing the fact that 2016 saw the creation of an elaborate narrative mythology of stolen elections and Russian collusion, the issue of this belief has continuously rankled the left and fueled the anger of those in the GOP who support Trump. The truth is likely somewhere between the partisan extremes, but the adversarial nature of the narrative will no doubt propagate it for many years to come. Biden went on to say that the protests themselves represented the first time that a former president tried to prevent the peaceful transition of power. Again, such a claim is no doubt exaggerated, both in the context of the former president's involvement and the anticipated outcomes of demonstration itself. What should be notable in this speech was that Biden never actually said Trump's name, a curious restraint from a politician who holds his office primarily for not being the opponent he lambasts, and a party who, even a year after the end of his tenure in office, seem to have little else to talk about. Trump, in some respects, remains an odd combination of boogeyman and most favored punching bag for the increasingly progressive left. While this tendency to obsess over Trump as a singular figure born of four years of intense habit is pitiable, the fervency with which Democrats see their role as rulers for the better of the public should frighten the freedom-minded. Biden said in his address that I will allow no one to place a dagger at the throat of democracy. The aggressive nature of this statement is indicative of the left's authoritarian push and reeks of projection. Indeed, the event allowed the Democrats to create a narrative of government under siege and justify the presence of armed forces in the capital, increasing lack of access to government buildings and founding documents, and has allowed for easier demonization of those who are protesting the increasingly oppressive measures the administration has pushed for under the guise of COVID safety. Democrats have a tendency to lump their opponents together and cry racist and fascist as frequently as possible, even as they impose and advocate for marginalizing citizens and electronically controlling the movement of the public. While little of substance was really said, it should be noted that January 6th is still very much a springboard from which rejection of democratic policies and politicians will be attacked, regardless of connection. It was best put by the vice president in the following remarks, the American spirit is being tested. Indeed it is, and in the case of monetary policy, taxes, inflation, education, and COVID-justified oppression, it is being tested by those who cry the loudest about their superior ideology and defense of our sacred democracy. At some point, any lover of liberty should ask themselves two things. One, what is the value of investing in the current federal government, regardless of which half of the duopoly holds the advantage? The truth is that the federal system is intrusive and violates the rights of citizens on a constant basis, and of all systems of government in the United States, it has grown the most beyond the parameters originally intended. The obsession with preserving the current system will not help the Libertarian Party or encourage a move towards freedom, because it is, by design, opposed to free choice. 
Federalism was and is intended to curb regional and state governments and encourage broad and oversimplified policies built on democratic preference of an incohesive mass. Democracy is not now, nor has it ever been, synonymous with freedom. It is the tyranny of the majority. This attempt to impose policy via the mechanism of federal democracy has led to deep division in the United States, pitting red against blue, which is increasingly expressed as a separation between rural and urban environments in our country. Libertarians need to stop viewing federalism and its representative system as being a positive. Its only value is that it is often contentious with state governments, and in this the wheels of both may grind more slowly. Secondly, lovers of freedom should be concerned with the policies that January 6th has opened the doors for. The authoritarian left holds up the event as a shield. It is used to invalidate criticisms and justify aggressive policies as defensive actions. Anyone who questions the authoritarian left tends to be grouped in with the dangerous rebels of January 6th who seek to undermine our democracy. COVID measures, voting rights debates, increases in taxation, monetary policies that increase inflation, all are justified to keep the right people in power and the right under control. This matters because libertarians are generally grouped with the right by rejecting such measures, not because we are part of that group ideologically, but because the generalization makes us easier targets for the mainstream. No political faction in this country is more apt to reject such measures and engage in protest and civil disobedience than libertarians. We stand against the state as advocates for individual choice, not for their democracy, real or imagined, and they are aware that we do so. It is why we have been addressed as a potential terrorist threat in some instances and by no less personages than the former head of the FBI. Our refusal to obey vexes authoritarians of all stripes and they both hate and fear us for it. By defaming liberty as selfish and demonizing those who stand up for it, these authoritarians hope to quash us and any resistance we might present. And that is all of the content that I have for you today, my friends. I would like to take some time to announce to you that the Libertarian Party of Michigan's Spring Convention has been scheduled for Sunday, March 13th, at Weber's in Ann Arbor. I would like to encourage all of you to become delegates to this convention. The process is quite simple. Join the Libertarian Party of Michigan by midnight on February 11th. You can do this by going to michiganlp.org slash donate and paying the low, low cost of $25. Secondly, you should start attending your local affiliates meetings and get selected as a delegate at their local convention sometime between now and March. Being a delegate is a great way to jump into the party and meet our bunch of freedom lovers. 2022 is going to be an exciting year for us, and jumping in now is a great way to get involved. That's all I have for you, my friends. Stay safe and stay free.